All right, welcome to this episode nine of the Vinyl Detroit podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed these episodes as much as I've loved putting them together. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to speak to an artist whose work I've admired for well over 20 years. In addition to her main project, she's worked with the likes of the Spinanes, Sparkle Horse, Helium, and many, really many, many others. Her first band, Juicy, released their first album, For the Ladies, in 1994 on Slow River Records. After a short run, she put some songs together and they found their way to Matthew Jacobson, head man of Le Grand Magistery. So today's artist was mentioned several times during Matthew's interview, which made me reach out to her to see if she would be interested in speaking about her album, which is the album that we're going to focus on today. And thankfully, she agreed to speak with me. So with that, I'm beyond excited to present today's guest, Kendall Mead of Mascot. The focus of our discussion was her 2000 debut LP for the Grand Magistery, Follow the Sound, an album that features an all-star lineup of collaborators and producers. Follow the Sound was described by Ken Taylor of All Music as, quote, a truly beautiful and understated pop record. Kendall spoke about the origins of Mascot, her connections to Detroit, and much, much more with me during that conversation. So let's get into my discussion with Kendall about her wonderful 2000 release for the Grand Magistery, Follow the Sound. So what you just heard was the title track from Follow the Sound by Mascot, which is the brainchild of Kendall Mead. I am more than happy to welcome Kendall to the Vinyl Detroit podcast today, where we're going to discuss her debut full-length LP, Follow the Sound, which was released on the Grand Magisteri in 2000. So with that, welcome to the show, Kendall. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure for me, too. I'm really happy we could do this. So, you know, I've got, I've got some, some questions I'd like to obviously ask you, I'd like to know more about the album and, and just kind of the creation of that. So I kind of want to start out with the origins. I kind of find that's a good place to start. I guess, would you mind sharing the origin of how you got started in music and really what led you to start Mascot? Sure. I mean, you know, growing up, I always, I always loved to sing. I always sang in choirs and concert choirs and I was in an acapella group. Um, so from a pretty young age, I loved singing. I loved music. I loved songs. I loved, you know, getting lost in lyrics. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, 
I remember finding a copy of Carol King's tapestry album, (laughs) you know, from my parents' collection and bringing it to my room and listening to it over and over and over again, you know, the kind of studying the songs and looking for the secrets or the Easter eggs or what have you. Um, I didn't really start my first band until, until college. I started it with a few of my girlfriends. We were called Juicy. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just for fun. But we ended up putting out two albums and all moving to New York and, you know, having a bit of success on college radio and playing shows. And, um, and, and after the band broke up, um, I moved home to Detroit and I, and I started mascot as a, as a bit of a solo adventure. Nice. Nice. Yeah, you, you could have definitely picked a worse album than tapestry. I mean, what a great (laughs) album. I own it here. (laughs) It's a classic. It's so good. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's, I mean, it, it's funny because within my collection, it's a little bit of an outlier, mm. but once you put it on, you start to see those connections to, you know, the artists and the recordings that came after it, which is really cool. Exactly. And, you know, the musicians who played on it oh. and all the interconnectedness, I, I love that. For sure. So, you know, you mentioned you're from Metro Detroit. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I, you know, I kind of asked Matthew Jacobson a little bit about this when it came to the Grand Magistery, but I'd like to know if you could maybe share a little bit about how growing up in the, you know, Metro Detroit area, I think you, you also spent some time growing, spent some time in your youth in Port Huron. Maybe you could share a little bit about how that kind of played into your music or maybe helped shape you. Sure. I mean, you know, as you know, being from Detroit yourself, you know, we take a lot of pride in our music. <laughs> yep. You know, Motown, Seeger, <laughs> the White Stripes, yep. MC5. I mean, it's just, it just keeps going. And did you, did you know that Joni Mitchell lived in downtown Detroit for a bit and she was in a, a folk duo with her husband? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's something I take a lot of pride in. Wow. So, you know, those Detroit moments are, are, are really special to me. And, yeah. um, and also, you know, just growing up, we listened to tons of music. My parents uh, were big music fans. So we always had music playing and it's just part of, part of who I am, but those, but you're right. Those Detroit artists really mean a lot to, to me and Mm -hmm. give me a lot of pride. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You know, it, it really has, it has a rich history, but it's funny, like, you know, some scenes like Chicago or New York or LA, I mean, obviously they're, they're bigger scenes generally, but I think we're just really passionate about our scene. And we like saying we're from Detroit and that means something, which I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool too. I mean, technically I grew up in Gross Point, but you just say you lived in Detroit because, um, because we did is Metro Detroit. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that was, that was our city. That is our, Mm -hmm. in my case, that is my city. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. So, you know, in, in, in episodes six and seven, you know, I spoke to Matthew Jacobson, founder of, of the Grand Magistery, which was your label, uh, I, I believe, on the, on the early end after Juicy. Uh, you know, how did you connect, get connected with Matthew? I met Matthew, I met Matthew when I was living in New York, um, and we hit it off immediately. We met, we met through some mutual friends, and we actually, in full disclosure, we had a bit of a romance, um, but we stayed, we stayed very good friends and, and, you know, we're both from Detroit. And mm-hmm. so when I was starting mascot and he, he was, he was one of the first people that I shared the recordings with and, nice. and those recordings became my first EP on the grand magistrate called electric poems. Sure. Yeah. I remember, uh, I remember getting that, you know, just obviously I think I met Matt, I think it was in 95, maybe early 96. And, you know, when he was talking about starting the label and what the whole, you know, the whole Genesis was going to be. And I remember getting electric poems and I, I remember driving around town and saying, I don't know that I've, I've really ever heard anything like this. And I kept oh. listening to it over and over again. And I wished it was longer. I remember that. a lot. <laughs> I'm like, well, why isn't there more? And I had to wait a couple of years to get a full album. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I want to talk about that album. That's obviously going to be the focus here today. And, you know, it's it's a unique album in that, you know, those that maybe haven't heard of it or haven't heard it, that there's a, a large number of of producers and, and guest musicians on this album. I mean, I, I don't know of many other albums that are like that. So, you know, you obviously worked with a number of them on this. How did that, that idea come about? 
and can you share maybe some of those experiences on how you you know connected with them and 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 their contributions just things like that yeah i mean it, it is it was really unique a unique choice in a way it was very reflective of my life at the time um and, and when I started Mascot, I was basically, I was an active touring musician mm-hmm. um, and I was never really in one place for long, you know, that long of a time. So, and in many ways, that's what the title follow the sound and the track, you know, really refers to, you know, how much I was moving and, mm. and, you know, sort of not being in one place at one time, because I was literally following the sound of other artists or other bands that I was with. Mm. Um, so I was lucky enough to, you know, decide, okay, I can do a few days here in this studio or a few days here. You know, I didn't really have a time limit on it. I was just kind of writing and recording, you know, along the way. So I was lucky enough to record with, with so many of my favorite musicians, you know, so one of them was for Unfollow the Sound. One of the producers was Jim O'Rourke. Mm-hmm he had recently made his Eureka album and I was listening to it like crazy. Um, (laughs) My sister Shelby, you know, had a connection to him and she, she sort of flippantly said, you know, my sister loves your music. Would you record her? And he said, yes. Wow. And I, I honestly, I still can't believe that he agreed to record me, (laughs) but we did it. We did it in Chicago where he was based at the time. And, and it was an amazing experience. He, he kind of, pushed me to places I never would have gone on these recordings, you know, both vocally and musically. I think he made me better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sessions with Jeff Barron from the Ladybug Transistor, those were just, you know, a joy. I, I mm-hmm. love their sound so much. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to capture a bit of that Brooklyn magic that they were creating out in, in Kensington. And, and, um, and, and, and I think we did capture a little bit of that. For it sure. was, it was really great. And um, so we did a couple sessions there for songs and then stars were my label mates at the time. And, you know, we were good friends um, and they recorded costume ball at their studio on Metropolitan Avenue. Nice. Um, and then the songs I did with Mario from shoestrings, those were done. Those were done in Detroit. Um, Matthew Jacobson was at that session um, I think I have some photos of us all somewhere wearing <laughs> scarves inside because it was a very cold evening in Detroit as it is. Of course. Um, so, you know, so that's really, that's really the, the bulk of, of, of the, of the people that, that created the songs for me. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a wonderful time. And I, and it, the fact that it all came together <laughs> to sound like a cohesive album is, is pretty incredible. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. Yeah. I, you know, I made a note of that and I think, I think I mentioned it later on cohesive because, you know, it, it very much could have not been. So, yeah. you know, I mean, when you look at, at the, the different producers and musicians that you worked with, I mean, that this album could have sounded like, you know, four different parts or, or, or more mm. and it doesn't. And it's funny because I was looking at the record last night just getting kind of ready for you know who was on what songs and everything and you would think that you could really even pick out who produced it just by listening to it but I found that I would be like okay yeah that's a that's a Jeff Barron song and then I flip it over I go oh man no that's Jim O'Rourke mm. and then I'd be like you know what that's Jim O'Rourke so <laughs> it, it's funny and it, it just it works it works really well honestly Thank you. Thank so you know we're gonna we're gonna take a break here we're gonna listen to uh the uh, the next track that is actually the uh the second track on the album from follow the sound it's titled keeper of secrets this is one of those tracks that was produced and recorded by uh who we just spoke about jim O'Rourke in chicago it, you know it features jim's signature lush production which you know i i frankly love a whole bunch uh and and kendall your guitar work which was awesome the delicate vocals i feel like this song really captures for me at least your songwriting breath uh, it's got a full band arrangement and and i just you know, it's one of my favorites on the album so you know with that let's give keeper of secrets a spin
So, you know, I, I, I love that this album features, you know, the many styles like we talked about, musical approaches, but yet, like I mentioned, you know, in, in the last the last question, it's still very cohesive, which you know, I'm sure was hard to do. So, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you wrote these songs. So really, I guess the question goes, you know, did you write these collaboratively with, collaboratively, collaboratively <laughs> with, you know, Jeff Barron, Mario, Jim O'Rourke, and Stars? Or was it a situation where you really arranged them and then brought them to those those guys? Uh, you know, I, I brought finished songs to the table and then I would leave it up to the musicians to do their thing. You know, nice. we it was often, you know, learn the songs in a day or learn the songs in a few hours and then we're going to hit record, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it that made for what I, what I really love, um, are these sort of unexpected moments. Um, sure. I'm not very precious about, um, how it sounds if I feel that it sounds really unique. Um, so that, that's really what was captured on that record. So, you know, and Jim O'Rourke, it wasn't like I was going to record with him and it was going to be a Jim O'Rourke record. You know, mm. he really was very much, this is your sound and your record. And let's just let's just make it sound good. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what we did. Um, And, you know, a great example of that is, is, you know, I booked when I was, you know, recording in Chicago, I, I needed to book musicians. So Mm -hmm. um, Jerry Busher, who was playing drums with this, with me and the Spinanes at the time, Mm -hmm. I asked Jerry to come play drums um, and, you know, other random instruments, whatever he really wanted to, And then I booked a Chicago player, um, Noel Coopersmith, to play bass. Mm. Um, and he plays stand-up bass. And that felt really unexpected and kind of the opposite of indie in a way. And I really loved that. And, you know, him bringing his, you know, sort of Chicago stand-up, almost, you know, jazz style really made the songs amazing and and really helped shape the sound of that album so those were unexpected moments and you know without Noel the the songs may have sounded quite different sure sure well you know it's it's funny you say that because maybe it's on the on the back of the album but now that you mentioned that stand-up bass I can I can hear that now and I, yeah. and I can tell that that's there, that this is, this is going to make for an interesting listen next time I listen to this album. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things to look for. Great. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, you know, I guess I always, I always like to kind of know, you know, when I speak to an artist, you know, what, what they were listening to and, and what maybe had an influence on them when they were recording the album. So were there things that you were listening to that maybe you can recall from, from this era? I mean, yeah, that's kind of easy because what I was listening to was really aligned with, with who I worked with on this album. I mean, again, I feel so lucky to be able to have worked with so many people that I admired. Um, So, you know, for example, Joan Wasser and and Michael Ty had a band called Black Beetle. Um, Joan was my roommate at the time and in in Brooklyn and, and I I would see her shows all the time and I was very influenced by them. Um, and they both, you know, again, played on the record. I was listening to lots of Ladybug Transistor. Um, as I said before, I was obsessively listening to Eureka by Jim (laughs) O'Rourke, um, stars of course, and, Mm -hmm. and metric, um, Mm -hmm. shoestrings, you know, all of those bands were, were really influential to me during this time. But I was also, you know, very, very into 60s folk. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and seventies as well, seventies um, female singer songwriters. So you know, lots of Carol King, um, Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez. I was really into Dylan. I was into Margot Giron. I always say her last name wrong, but Margot Giron, <laughs> um, Francois Hardy. You know, I was I, I I had a lot of sort of that you know Brooklyn indie scene mixed with <laughs> this sort of sixties and seventies. <laughs> And I hear when I listen to it now, I hear so many of those influences on the album. Yeah, that's that's really neat that, you know, I've talked to a couple artists by now and I I usually ask this question. And usually when they mention, you know, who they were listening to, you know, I'm like, oh, that's great. I love it. But the difference with you is that you were listening to them and then you were working with them, which is, I mean, it's got to be such a unique situation. Well, I've always been. I've always been a very passionate music listener. I, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I was in college in Boston, I was seeing music every night, probably more than I was, you know, attending class. Um, we won't tell but, anybody. <laughs> we won't tell anybody. But I always really um, have been a huge fan. And um, and so, again, yeah, I was a huge fan of these bands and, and considered myself very lucky to know them and, and to be able to call on them to play on my records. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat. You know, so we talked a little bit about, you know, your first EP, Electric Poems, that came out on the Grand Magisteri. Uh, we talked, you know, how it, it, it definitely had a more a more sparse arrangement than Follow the Sound. Follow the Sound has, you know, many more full arrangements. Was that a conscious decision on your part going into that album? Or was it maybe from working with the different musicians and producers? But about electric poems, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess, really, you know, electric poems being a, a much more of a of a sparse arrangement, at least in my opinion, and then coming to follow the sound. I mean, it's every song is like fully arranged and full band, and right. Yeah, I guess, I guess, kind of, how did that, how did that transition come about? Well, electric poems, it was such a diary album, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, all these songs were these little secrets that I was working on without anyone knowing. Mm. Um, and I was very timid to show that side of myself. And, and it was actually a total surprise to me that that EP got any recognition. <laughs> um, when it did, it, it gave me confidence. Um, mm-hmm. It gave me more confidence. And, and at the time in parallel, as I mentioned, I was playing with other bands and, and um, you know, I was playing keyboards and helium. I was playing bass and keyboards in the spinanes. I was becoming more confident of a musician cool. and a singer. So um, I, for Follow the Sound, I, I leaned into arrangements more and instrumentations more. And um, I was taking additional guitar lessons, you know, so some of that guitar work in Keeper of Secrets, you know, I really worked on with my guitar teacher, you know? Mm. And so that's where that's why there's such a big jump from electric poems to follow the sound. I was getting better at playing, mm-hmm. at singing, and and I think at writing. Yeah, more confidence too, like mm-hmm. you said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna take a listen to another track here, which is actually the fourth track from Follow the Sound, titled "History Is Planned." Uh, you know, we, we we talked a little bit before the interview. I don't I don't think it made it on the recording here, but how much that you know, I, I really. I've discovered that song in the last couple of weeks and, and thinking over the last 20 years, like why wasn't I listening to this more? Uh, this track was produced by Kendall and Jeff Barron of the Ladybug Transistor. And to me, what, what I think the feature is, at least in this track, is that is that Fender Rhodes piano that Joan Wasser was playing. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it just, it, it just it sets the tone. It sets the, the balance for that track. So, you know, now that this has become one of my favorites from the album... Uh, you know, I did a little research on it, and, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I read somewhere that it's a song about the fact that only the future can tell whether a relationship is going to work. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I don't like to ask artists what their songs are about, um, but I read that, and so I thought I would just share that with the listeners. <laughs> uh, so, you know, with that, let's go ahead and give just the absolutely wonderful history as planned to spin.
It's true, and you, okay. can, I mean, you can leave this in there if you want. At the time, I was very into, um, I was getting into astrology. <laughs> so that's what that line means. Um, oh. it, I think it's, do you mind if I'm direct, if I hang around till Monday? There's so much to dissect since I learned about your birth date. So that's really about, um, you know, just sort of trying to find some answers via astrology. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny when I was, I was reading just about, you know, the album and the songs and I came across that and I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if that's true or not. <laughs> so I yeah. figured I'd, I'd kind of qualify it when I put it in that, Hey, I read this online. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, what's meant to be is meant to be. It's sort of like sort of coming to terms with that. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, I guess it was, I guess it was accurate. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I like to talk about the artwork with the artist. The artwork to me is, I would say it's probably like 60, 40, 70, 30 music artwork. I just think it, it's, it, it, it's part of the package. And so I was examining the, the record, uh, which I do have the record here. Uh, and, and it's, you know, for those of you who maybe haven't seen it yet, um, you know, the front cover has a, a photo of, of you, of course. And then the back cover features another photo of you drinking a glass of wine. And I wanted to ask you, you know, about the sleeve design, whether those concepts were yours or, or Matthew's or how the ideas came up. Maybe if you could just tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. Uh, you know, Matthew is such a, he's such a great designer, um, great. you know, truly. And, and, and he works with what he has to create a visual identity. So he had these pictures and yeah, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about the pictures. They're funny The, you know, the front cover, I was, I was so insecure and unable to kind of look directly into the camera at that point in my life. Really? Um, and so that cover photo was shot. It was shot by my, my sister-in-law and I was in Detroit and we did a photo shoot and, and that's the, that's the picture we landed on. So it was a reflection of that. So the back cover was shot by uh, Stefano Giovannini in New York. He and I had met when I was on tour with helium. And so he was like, yeah, come over. We'll take some pictures. So I went over to his apartment and I think he sensed that I was uncomfortable <laughs> in front of the camera. <laughs> so being Italian, he was like, have some wine, loosen up. <laughs> So that's how that picture happened. <laughs> so did you did 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 the album? So the the cover out the cover photo I, I'm guessing came as a result of the album. Was the back photo the same, or was that taken like without the album even in mind? No, though I can't recall. I mean, I took. Yeah. I think I just took um, two sets of photos okay. at that point, and probably you know similar to that time in my life, I just booked a couple of you know, shoots and, and different cities to just sort of see where it landed. And okay. so Matthew used everything and, and put it together. So he, he selected both of those images. Got it. That's neat. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. During, during his interview, he was just talking about, you know, how, how he reuses, you know, images on different album covers. Mm, it's yeah. just, it, I mean, yeah. I, my mind doesn't work the way his does. So listening to him, like tell those stories was, was pretty neat. And, yeah. And I wanted to ask you about this because this is this is definitely one of my favorite 
jackets on the Grand Magistery. I I just love it, and I and it's funny that you say you were too shy to look at the camera because, <laughs> you know, I I would I would I've never thought that in you know twenty one years that that was kind of the concept behind that photo. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely, and you know, my next record that came out called Dreamers Book. Yep. Matthew and I discussed having a photo of me looking straight into the camera, sort of to show the growth and to show. Um, you know, the confidence and, and the state of mind. So that's a, just a little, little secret behind, be, between the two albums and their artwork. Nice. I like that. I love those stories. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what I would consider my favorite track from Follow the Sound, and it is Costume Ball. You know, it, it, it at least when I listen to it, it seems to paint this romantic view of a night in New York. And you know, I, I, I've waited a lot of years to really ask you this question, but <laughs> would you mind sharing your inspiration and story behind that track? Absolutely. So, so that song, I mean, that song, I mean, it's pretty much a play by play of a night that I went to the Met Ball, mm. um, which I think today they call it the Met Gala mm -hmm. um, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I went with my friend, Charles de Montebello. Um, he asked me to be his date. Um, and it was, it was a very magical evening. It was a real New York moment. You know, I mean, each line is a, is a, is a true statement that happened. Um, it's all in the song, you know, cool. and a fun fact, <laughs> Charles, Charles was, and he is an audio engineer in New York city. And he mastered the album. He mastered Follow the Sound. So he is responsible for helping it stay, you know, keep a, co you know, remain a cohesive listen from start to finish. And, and he also mastered Star's Night Songs. So, oh, really? um, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very full circle. And, and Charles and I are still, still great friends to this day. Yeah, there's, you know, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about this later on, the, some of these connections, but you know, I've always talking about stars and obviously they, they produced costume ball with you. And, um, there's just, there seemed to be this connection between follow the sound and, and their debut night songs. And, yeah. um, you know, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that here, here in a second, because there's just, there's, there's this, there's this connection. I don't, I don't remember, hmm, I probably should have prepared for this, but which one came first. So, you know, in costume ball, Tork Campbell, had a, a very cool important vocal that he contributed <laughs> and and you know we're, we're probably going to hear that if, if we're all lucky at the end of this interview but then you also sang what I believe to be one of the one of the coolest moments on their album on the song the very thing so I, I guess I'd like to kind of know how that collaboration came about and and maybe even more specifically, I mean, was this exchange like planned or, or how did this exchange of, of little, you know, key vocal moments, how did that come about? Well, you know, as I said, you know, stars and, and myself, we were label mates. And yep. um, at the time we were both living in Brooklyn and we became close, you know, we, we hung out a lot. Uh, they had this great loft on Metropolitan Avenue and, um, so, you know, at the time they, they didn't really have a, a, a solid female singer. They had mm. worked with Emily Haynes, the great yep. Emily Haynes. Um, sure. she was also living in the same loft and, but she was, they were busy, you know, with metric and they hadn't, um, secured Ms. Amy Milan yet to be, um, the, 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 um, permanent member of stars. So I would often, you know, sing with them at live shows or, um, you know, like on night songs, they asked me to come and sing backgrounds mm -hmm. on a few songs. So that was really, really fun. And so in return, I asked them to produce the song costume ball. So, um, I recorded the song over, you know, at their loft. I, nice. I brought, I remember I brought over my, I wrote the song on my little vintage Casio keyboard. <laughs> and I had, I wrote it to one of the, you know, the Casio keyboard tracks that were already, you know, there were already mm. the settings in the keyboard. Very nice. And I recorded the track um, to the, to the Casio and the beat and recorded my main vocal. And they were like, okay, we got this. And, and they literally took the song from there and, wow. and 
Chris Seligman is, is just such a genius. Oh. And he, he, you know, he and Torquil, who's incredible, they, they brought in, you know, all these amazing musicians to play on the track. Um, James Shaw, you know, Jimmy Shaw from metric and mm-hmm. Chris Dumont, who later um, started Memphis with Torquil. I mean, all these really great musicians uh, played on it. And, and Torquil did that line. I wasn't even there. They just did it. You know, they created this whole world around the song and, and, um, and, and it was, it was really amazing. I mean, I, I really just did my thing. They did their thing and then they sent it to me and it was done. Um, so in a way, you know, Torquil's spoken word line, which, you know, he embodies the sort of the, the male character of the song, um, was really cool and and uh, and it's a beautiful compliment to the line I sing on the very thing mm-hmm. um but it was I don't believe it was intentional um I think it's just truly the style of what stars does but you know we can ask them you know well, maybe, um maybe you can help me get them on this podcast <laughs> no, just yeah. I'm happy to I'm happy to <laughs> um and I recently the, the, a really really beautiful thing is I recently got to sing that song the very thing with stars oh. um this past December at their Christmas oh. show in New York. And wow. um, we hadn't seen each other in years and it was just, it was a great night and it was so fun to sing that song live with them. Yeah. You know, when you told that story, I, and, and once you said that you, you left and then the, Torque put the, put his lyric. Yeah. On there, I actually got the chills. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that song, I, I think I was sharing with Matthew that I've, I got into this like uh, routine where I think it started just after the album came out it was yeah it was it was the year 2000 and i had my little disc man on the airplane and my wife and i went to new york city for like our one year anniversary and i was listening to that track looking out the window as we were pulling in like pulling into like i don't know over the city or whatever yeah and it became this routine that every time i've gone there i i click that on as we're as we're flying in and i can see the city i love that yeah it's every time i love that it's I mean, such a New York song. It's perfect. It is. And I, my daughter and I went, uh, I don't know, two years ago, whatever, before COVID, and it was the same thing. I mean, it's 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 like my routine, and and I you know I want to thank you for that that track. It means a lot to me. Oh, God, it means a lot to me <laughs> that you enjoy it. Uh, so you know we're gonna we're gonna take a, a, another break here. We're gonna listen to another track, uh, which is entitled "Birds That Cannot Fly," and it's another track that was produced by Jim O'Rourke. Uh, features vocals by the Mekon Sally Timms. Uh, Birds That Cannot Fly has what I would consider a pretty straightforward yet very strong arrangement, making it one of the highlights of Follow the Sound. So this is the seventh track from Follow the Sound, and it is Birds That Cannot Fly. Let's give it a listen. So, you know, after leaving the Detroit area, you know, I wanted to just maybe know a little bit more, more about, you know, where you ended up and, and kind of what influence did that new locale have on you and ultimately on the album, Follow the Sound? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, 
I ended up living in, you know, basing myself in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I said, I was touring with bands. So I had, you know, I rented a room, um, I think first at my friend Lauren's place and then, you know, in, in Joan Wasser's house, um, which was, you know, so that really, that room in Brooklyn became, you know, that yellow room in Brooklyn became my home base. <laughs> and, um, you know, it really shaped the sound on the tracks, you know, and, and, and so many, you know, like, like I said, so many great musicians, so much inspiration happened during that time, but not just in Brooklyn, it was happening when I was on the road, you know, mm. I was having so many incredible experiences and, um, you know, so many firsts in my life, you know, going to Europe for the first time, um, you know, going on sort of a major tour for the first time, um, helium, my first tour with helium, we were opening for Slater Kinney in wow. Europe. I mean, it was, yeah. it was this massive jump for me and I was kind of in heaven. I mean, I was having <laughs> like the time of my life. So I really hear that excitement, um, and, and then also, you know, my life really being, you know, disrupted, you know, touring is a, it's a very interesting life. You're never in one place at one time. So you're kind of almost longing for, you know, being in one place at one time, but then sure. you start when you're home, you can't wait to get back on the road and have new experiences. So um, I really hear that restlessness in those songs. Um, and um and, and so that, that, you know, to answer the question, that's the influence, you know, really just sort of being on the road and, and kind of always wanting to, you know, make some more roots back in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's neat. I mean, that, that time in Brooklyn, I mean, that was a very fruitful time in terms of, you know, music and, and the indie scene. I mean, like everybody was in Brooklyn who was anybody kind <laughs> of. Um, so, I mean, it must have been a very, just a very fertile time there. Well, I mean, it was also, you know, Manhattan was more expensive. And, and sure. if you were a touring musician, you wanted to live with multiple people and they had bigger places in Brooklyn and, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it was, but yes, it was great. There were so many great musicians living out there and, yeah. and you know, and that's where all the rehearsal spaces were. And, um, it was wonderful. And now you couldn't afford to live in Brooklyn either. Probably that's not. Problem. Probably. <laughs> so, you know, I, if I recall correctly, and, and this obviously comes from stories from Mario and from, you know, Matthew and everything, it, it seems like, I don't know if this was or why this came about, but it seemed like a lot of the LeGrand Magistery artists were connected somehow, and, and particularly during the Follow the Sound era. Hmm. So, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, you, you worked on the Stars album and, and, you know, Mario worked on... Uh, you know, producing a track on your album and, and just there were all these connections and it was whether it was, you know, making recordings or touring together, just hanging out. You know, I, I, I had a story that I wanted to share with you and, and <laughs> you know, I kind of I kind of teased it early on, but this is a really funny story. So it was it was 2000 and I remember I got a <laughs> it was probably a phone call and was probably onto my landline at the time yeah. from Matthew and you were playing at the wonderful Gold Dollar in Detroit. Oh, yeah. And I remember he called me up like, I think it was that night. And he's like, uh, you know what? You know, Mascot's playing. And, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, we're, we're going to go. And he goes, could you play drums for them that <laughs> night? Or tonight it was. And I'm like, play drums? And I'm like, I, I got to call you back. And I remember I got off the phone and I, I was talking <laughs> to my wife. And I'm like you know what, I love, I love this album. I love her music so much, but I don't want to go in there and screw it up. <laughs> so I called him back. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm just going to go to the show. I, I'm not really sure. So I really could have been a member of Mascot for one night. I wish you had done it. There, there's a, That is so funny. So that there's a little bit of a story behind that. So Interesting. that tour, I was it was set out to be a, a duo tour. It was myself and my friend, Gordon Zacharias, who has a, one, an amazing band called the Fan Modine. And so the plan was, is that Gordon and I were just going to pile in my car and, and play some shows. Mm -hmm. And after the first gig, which was, I think, at a college in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. um, Gordon's like, this, you know, this just isn't sounding great to me. Like, it's just not sounding adventurous enough. Let's let's ask people to play with us in whatever city we go in. Oh, wow. And I'm like, with just very me, I was like, sure. <laughs> hey, let's go with it. 
so it worked many, many cities like in, in, uh, in Cleveland, there was a band called Frisbee who were an amazing pop band. And, and at Soundcheck, Gordon, we would just approach bands and be like, Hey, do you want to play our set with us? Oh my gosh. And most probably like three out of the six shows, the bands were like, yeah, no problem. And we would have these crazy shows, like these unexpected wild arrangements. And it was really fun. Mm -hmm. But in Detroit, um, I think we were opening for Goober and the Peas and, um, I don't think that was an option. So we were looking for people to play with us. So oh it could have been you. Could have been you and me, Brian. I know. Like it was my one brush at fame. Like I could have <laughs> had that connection. And you know, I, I still feel like I feel bad about it because I don't remember who actually drummed. Like I knew who it was though. Boy, oh boy. I'll have to find out. Maybe Mario will remember. Well, but... Ray Eklund from Andy Davis played bass with us at that show. And I okay. don't recall who played drums. Um, but it was fun. I remember it was really fun. That was a really cool show. And I, you know, I I remember I told my wife tonight, she's like, good luck on the podcast. I'm like, thank you. And I go, Hey, I go, we haven't been to many shows together. Our our musical tastes don't align would be to say it Mm. nicely. And, but, but yet we were newlyweds and she was like, I'm going to go with you. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, do you remember this show? We went down to Detroit and it was like this really dark area and it was like a bar and all this stuff. And she's like, that's like every show we went to back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So that was, that was my, my almost moment in being in mascot. So I thought that was fun. I love that story. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, obviously, you know, Follow the Sound f- came out about 20 plus years ago, about 21 years ago. And I, I guess I'd like to just kind of have you just reflect back, if you don't mind, and, and tell me if there's anything that maybe you would change or maybe have done differently around making that album. I mean, I have so I just have all incredible memories of making that album. It was a massive learning curve for me. I, I learned so much by recording with and playing with so many accomplished musicians, you know, in different areas of the country. Um, so to me, I just see like this massive time of growth, you know, and, and really I see a brave young woman, you know, who is just taking, taking chances and, and, um, and, and going for it, you know, which is, I admire her, you know, I mean, sure. I mean, I, I definitely cringe at a few of the lyrics, um, (laughs) which you might hear a lot of people say about their earlier records, but, but generally I'm very proud of the record and, and, and I love that era of my music making. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just, you know, I always wonder like, you know, once you obviously once you commit it to you know a physical format or in today's world streaming or whatever it's not like it's something you can ever really go back and redo and you know i think mara and i were talking about how like you know he hears the little just the littlest the smallest imperfections or or little things that that you know he 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 thinks he could have done differently and you know i it, it's it's got to be a little challenging if you listen to it that way. You know, I, I'm with you. I don't know, aside from maybe some tracks that didn't make the cut. I mean, I, I think it's like, it's just a fantastic album and it captures that era Thank and you. it just got the coolest musicians on it. And I don't know, I've just really enjoyed it over the years. So Thank you, Brian. And, you know, and on that note, um, one of the things that Jim O'Rourke taught me is to embrace the mistakes. Nice. Um, so for example, if you listen to the song Weight of the World, which oh, yeah. was a, a fantastic song that was written by uh, Judd Airbar. Yeah. Um, and when we recorded it, you know, we recorded, we, we tried, he, pref- Jim preferred the first take we did of, of, the, of the basic tracks, meaning mm-hmm. the drums and the bass and the guitar. And he said, this is, we did it a few times. He said, the first one's the best take. And I said, well, but it speeds up. It's not even the whole time. And he's like, well, why does that matter? <laughs> this true. is the best take. Why does that matter? What, there's no rules here. And <laughs> I mean, it blew my mind. And I right. was like, yeah, you're right. And we kept it and it's really cool. And, and I think there's also um, in Follow the Sound, I kind of flub the piano, you know, during one of the takes, you can hear kind of dissonant notes hmm. that 
I was like, oh, we have to fix that. And he said, no, that I like the way it sounds. And, and we kept it. So those moments that are quote unquote mistakes don't have to be. And that's what I really, really learned from that record. And so when I hear those things, I, I think I've already embraced them. Mm -hmm. Some lyrics, you know, we can, I could maybe go back and change, but otherwise, um, again, I'm proud of the record. Yeah, no, you definitely should be. So, you know, I guess as we kind of wrap it up here today, I just wanted to, you know, just, just spend a minute, just want to find out what you're up to these days. Oh, thanks. Um, well, musically, you know, since follow the sound, I made two more mascot albums, Mm -hmm. dreamers book and, um, art project. Mm -hmm. And I made another EP called the cost amount EP. Mm. Um, I also released an album with Anders Parker called wild chorus. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I've kept, I, you know, I, I, I sing a lot on other people's records. I've, um, you know, recorded some covers that I'm going to be releasing soon, but I'm really hoping to work on some new, a new batch of songs soon. I'll keep you posted. Um, You know, it's funny that, you know, obviously, like I said, I researched this a lot and I didn't realize all the different people you've worked with. I mean, obviously follow the sound has a bunch of collaborators, but on all these different albums, I mean, it's just, it was like, there was so much there and it, it kind of, I've actually discovered some new music because of it. Like things that I didn't, I didn't really even know about. Um, was it, what's the one that I, 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 was it? Gramercy Arms. Gramercy Arms, yeah. Oh my God! Like, how did I miss that whole thing? That's what <laughs> I want to know. There's so much great music out there. Dave Derby's that's Dave oh. Derby's band, and and um, you know, during the, you know, all the years I lived in New York, we often, you know, we we co-written. He he produced um some songs on Dreamer's book and um, I've sang, I sang a lot on his Gramercy Arms projects and yeah, th- those are, those are wonderful albums. Oh, they sure are. They sure are. So, you know, thank you for helping me find some new music. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So that, that really kind of wraps up our interview today. I mean, I wanted to obviously, you know, thank you for taking the time. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to spend you know, an hour roughly talking about an album that came out 20 years ago, but it meant so much to me. And that's really the focus of, of this podcast is, you know, it's my podcast, I suppose. So I can focus on the things that, that I love. And, you know, I just wanted to thank you again and, and for spending the time. It's been great to hear these things from you. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's such a great opportunity to revisit and, you know, really talk about how much work goes into these recordings and, and what it meant to me. And I just appreciate it. I think it's really cool what you're doing and thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. So uh, we're now going to take a listen to the final track from follow the sound. That was originally a Steve Tilson song that was released in 1971. And the way I understand it was that Matt Jacobson of the grand magistery suggested to, to Kendall to do this track and uh and mario swile produced it played along on it as well it was uh recorded at shoebox studios which happens to be right up the road from vinyl detroit headquarters here in sterling heights michigan and uh you know mario contributed some some wonderful guitars and and backing vocals so i'd like to give i really wanted you which is the perfect closing track to follow the sound to spin and again kendall thank you for joining me thanks for having me brian thanks Strike me down if you wish for not a wanting you for long Seasons turn, so do I go empty promises Drew.
I really enjoyed speaking to Kendall today about her album, Follow the Sound. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. As always, you can get this and all prior Vinyl Detroit podcast episodes on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. I've placed links to the album in the show notes for both Apple Music and Spotify. I really urge you to give it a listen. It's been a very important album for me over the years, and I feel it's a very accessible classic pop album. If you love what you've heard today, please rate the show to help others find it easier. Comments are always welcome, too. The Vile Detroit podcast can also be found on Instagram and on Facebook in the group section. Please be sure to check it out for information about this podcast, as well as clues to future episodes. So with that, we're going to close out today's episode with my favorite track from Follow the Sound. Kendall and I spoke at length about this song during the interview, as I feel it's really the high point of the album. Produced by Stars and Kendall, from 2000's Follow the Sound by Mascot, this is Costume Ball. Thanks for listening. Irina, the hairdresser, tells me I'm pretty. She's jazzing me up for a party in the city. My Ebbs and